0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Christopher Ryan Grant. Chris is a wonderful actor who I have known since we were both 18-year-old freshmen at the University of Evansville, which is insane. He's always been a really exciting performer and I have had the pleasure of watching him grow in that realm and just um, as a person in the world ever since then. We both went to grad school separately after Evansville and then he's been in the city, so it's been a lovely thing. I'm so grateful for that, that I have so many people who, who knew me at a really young age who still live nearby, we get to see each other's work, we get to see each other's lives and families, and that can be so valuable, especially in a city that can feel really anonymous a lot of the time. Chris is someone who is always trying new things, learning new things, teaching himself, which I really admire. We talk a lot about that in this episode. I'm excited for you to hear it. Please take a moment to rate and review The Compass in iTunes. It really helps other people find the podcast. You can check out thecompasspodcast.com for our new website updates, as well as thebroadwaypodcastnetwork.com. We have a Compass page on the website for The Podcast Network. And they have a huge variety of great theater podcasts. I think there are over 30 already, even though they're just getting started. I hope you enjoy the 147th episode of The Compass. The question that I always start with... Give it to me. What do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist?
0: Tell me what you think the dark side is.
1: Well, that's my next question to oh. you. So what do you think... That, what, when I say that, You're what like, do,
0: damn it, Grant, I'm hosting this.
1: <laughs> I mean, it means something different to everybody.
0: What do I do to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Uh... I will preface that by saying that I think occasional dips to the dark side aren't necessarily the worst thing in the world. Uh, It's a place that we all know. Yes. And I think particularly artists dip their toes in a little more than maybe some other people just because it's such an accessible place for us emotionally and like based on what we Do when we have the chance to do it, which is like delving in and out of other people's dark sides. Uh, So I I wouldn't say I necessarily try to avoid it. Um, If I find myself there for too long I will notice that and I will say this maybe isn't the healthiest place for you to be as a human being. And what I have discovered is that as long as I have a project then I'm fine. Uh, and fine is a relative word, you know. It can take weeks to climb out, or um, I just, I know that I need, once I find myself, like if, if I've watched more than two seasons of a TV show <laughs> in, in, like, a in a weekend, <laughs> then I know that I need <laughs> something to do. Yeah, Like I've been cruising through Frasier for the last... Uh, I don't know, like two weeks and I'm seven seasons deep. And I'm like, Oh buddy, you need to project. So
1: are you someone who needs something like tangible, physical, tangible? Yes.
0: 100%. And I think my wife is thrilled by that because it generally manifests itself with me needing to fix things. Like if things feel broken in my career or personal life i have to fix things physically it's so like
1: so psychological yeah it's it? crazy for me it's like organizing and weeding things out
0: oh it gives organ- me
1: a feeling of control Marie my
0: Kondoing my entire yes. apartment uh, organizing is fold my favorite my socks oh, and
1: underwear God. within an inch of their life. oh i
0: love it <laughs> and i'll take 45 minutes to fold the laundry just so i can get the creases and
1: like well, and now as a parent i like daydream about having the time to weed out my closet i can only imagine and not do anything else it sounds like a luxury i can
0: only imagine (laughs) um the the kids thing we can get into later i know we touched on that the other night at the bar but um yeah it generally manifests itself like i put chair rails in my entryway like i rent an apartment i do not own an apartment i have no business doing any of these things um but i went to Home Depot and bought some lumber and bought a saw and like just added a really nice chair rail in my entryway and then repainted so that I could have a two-tone entryway. (laughs) And I built these eight by 10 bookshelves in my bedroom out of pipe. And now the project is, uh, because it's been going on a couple months now, um, is totally redoing my living room. Selling all of our furniture, disassembling every, cause I've been in the same apartment for 10 years and.
1: Oh my gosh. Grace
0: and I tried to buy a couch about a month ago and there was this massive just cluster nightmare of events that happened, but we ended up like almost having to sue this company. Um, but we had this giant hole in our living room where our couch used to be cause we got rid of our old one to get this new right. one. And I sat there literally for about 40 minutes one day just standing stationary and I said no we're doing the whole thing get we're getting rid of everything I'm changing the whole apartment and my wife is like oh god here we go again he does this once every year
1: (laughs) this is a tangent but when your wife moved in with you since you'd been in that apartment for so long yeah what was that transition like to make it both of yours
0: it's An ongoing conversation. Mm. I tend to be a little bit of a control freak. Uh, But luckily, Grace is on a different planet. She is like a genius. The things that are running through her brain aren't for the rest of us. (laughs) Like the rest of us live down here and she is working on a different planet plane of existence and figuring out massive problems so she doesn't really care about interior design which i love but she does have these like crazy every once in a while she'll be like she'll put her foot down she'll be like no i want this apron from the 60s hanging in somewhere and i'll be like okay i'll make it work (laughs) but usually she kind of just lets me have free reign in the house which is nice
1: um so going back to the yes the question you asked me about (laughs) what is the dark side the dark side of the force (laughs) i think we can all all recognize that feeling that kind of general depression or low points low points as an individual how do you how does it manifest specifically um connected to your career or when you think of yourself as an artist what are the what are the things that can tempt you to to go to that dark place and that you you find you have to proactively deal with?
0: It's such a hard question. I mean, it's so multifaceted, and it means so many things to different people. And I was thinking about this on the way down here and throughout the week.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because the the trouble that you can get into when talking about careers with other artists is like, Everybody thinks about it in a different way. Everybody's at a different position in a different way. And, like, the levels of normal become different. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, I feel like I, I I always have to be careful. And I would hope that other people also take care when they're talking about their careers. Um, because what looks, what feels, like, unsuccessful to me, to somebody else, may look like crazy success
1: right that word success is very problematic yeah yeah, exactly
0: exactly (laughs) and and vice versa Um, so let's see back to the specific question i start to feel like i am heading in terms of my career um when i don't think what i have to offer as a storyteller is being utilized
1: That is completely fair. Uh,
0: I mean, I will say that I have been, in the last five years, have been just incredibly lucky, and there's like a culmination of hard work and events and just sheer, blind, dumb luck that have led me to kind of find this niche that has kept me for better or worse, pretty gainfully employed in the art that I have worked my entire life to pursue. But that being said, like a lot of that time for like vast swaths of not doing shows and things like that are filled with my day job has become voiceover work.
1: Mm-hmm. Now. You were, yeah, you were saying before we started, audiobooks has been really yeah, great for you. Yeah,
0: audiobooks. Have you been
1: doing like commercial voiceover
0: stuff too? I've f- I've done a few commercial. I mean, the sheer magnitude of like audition versus booking is, yes. like, I mean, it's no, cr- no, no. crazy. Um, I fail way more times than I succeed. But, you know, to somebody in the business that, that can seem like uh, it counts or that it's, you know, that it's still art. In a way, or that it's still part of the business. Right,
1: you're using those skills in some way.
0: Kind of.
1: Right. The reality
0: <laughs> of that is not very. Um, it's not very real. S- similar, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is a day job, uh, and it's such like a spotty day job that. I more often than not find myself with a lot of downtime that I try to fill with everything that I possibly can but you know when I say using my what I have to offer as a storyteller hawking a product for you know some fabric softener or uh, reading a please I hope you don't listen to this podcast Nicholas Sparks but reading like a Nicholas Sparks book which is just garbage (laughs) is not my idea of an artistic endeavor. Right. Do I get to sit in a booth and read a book and get paid for it? Absolutely. Is that awesome? Absolutely. Am I fulfilled in any way creatively? 100% not.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: uh, So, I don't know how I got off on that.
1: One of, yeah, one of the things that can lead towards the dark side. Yeah. Not it, not being utilized right. fully.
0: Yeah. Uh, exactly. So when I'm when I when I'm, when I'm in a period of months or or you know sometimes even longer than that without doing something that really matters to me, that's when I can start to feel like what am I doing with my life? Why am I uh, wasting my time with a pursuit that doesn't matter to anybody? How am I fulfilling myself as like an activist? In art, how can I make something that matters to people and not just this, like, commercial endeavor that pays the bills? But then again, you have to pay the bills.
1: Yes, that's the conundrum. Yeah. What sort of outlets have you found to keep yourself creative in those in-between times?
0: I was told by an acting teacher on our maybe first day of grad school, Ryan Van Loo, like, gets everybody in the thing, and it was one of the few things that I ever disagreed with him saying. But, like, on day one, class one, first year, he was like, if you can do anything else, do it.
1: I hate that.
0: I hate it so much.
1: hate I- because actors are sometimes the most capable people of doing anything else. One
0: hundred percent. The sheer can do magnitude the of our friends that are like multifaceted, multi-talented people, I, I, I find it just one of the most short-sighted, myopic things that you could possibly say. And
1: I, I, get, I understand what they're getting
0: at. I get the impetus. Yeah, I understand. But it's extremely
1: hard, and all of these sure. tor- torturous parts of the business that we're talking about are not something you should go into lightly
0: right right i i i understand that and maybe to like a how old are we what 21 or 22 mm-hmm. year old mind like that part of that can maybe make sense in and in a you know really drive and strive for this sort of way but i've always been a person who has so many other interests besides just acting acting's my favorite mm-hmm. i love doing it uh but I've always fancied myself as like a kind of raconteur I mean I I do a lot of things none of them well it's the Gemini in me is what my wife would say I don't really believe the stars care about who we are or what we do but uh <laughs> I love how you put that <laughs> uh I, I flit, I flit yeah. around and I find an interest that will hold my interest for a couple of months. And then
1: you I do move. a deep dive, I do a Uber. deep dive, yeah. like,
0: and having, having grace around has actually been fantastic. because like she's been a, they're all artistic endeavors. Um, I'm not like, except for the time that I bought an algebra book online. Cause I was like, I need to do something logistical that I can finish and be done with how
1: long did that last
0: uh, literally two nights like I worked on some problems for two nights in bed with this like algebra study book and I was like, well, this is this was a terrible idea this is a huge mistake but because of her like she needed a journal so I learned how to bind books or on our second date and she likes to tell this story because she was like you needed to pump the brakes man I was like I made her a Walt Whitman finger puppet. And then a long series of finger puppets for like certain famous poets. Only one got made. I had seven in line, but I like made <laughs> her a box and like this great Walt Whitman finger puppet. and She's like, you're a weirdo. Uh, but like, so I'll, I'll start <laughs> all these. Spoiler
1: alert. They're still married. Oh, we're still married. It yeah. all worked out. Yeah.
0: I'll start all these like crazy, you know, I, I love making jewelry. I, um, we talked about fixing things around the house but um yeah like i i want to find a place where i can like smelt mm-hmm. i've been thinking about like i've been buying a bunch of rocks and chains and i want to start dipping them into like gold and silver and I like building that. necklaces and things i make her a bunch of jewelry she's it's always like what, is, what can I make for Grace? It's
1: your love language Yeah, it's my love giving. language, exactly.
0: <laughs> but it, mostly it's plans. Like, I always have grandiose plans for things. Mm. I was going to build our wedding rings out of wood that were, like, native to our home states. I still have a basket of wood sitting in my <laughs> living room that hasn't been touched, and we've been married for a year and a half. So there's I a lot of, that. like, projects around, but they're all centered around art.
1: And then you're a musician as well. Do you, is that something you still
0: I am an still do? actor who happens to play some music. Okay. I now know... I used to think I was a musician.
1: It's You're married to a, a I, hardcore I, musician, so and her I friends, understand that. Yeah.
0: Like, I, I now know musicians, and I... Would The only thing I would ever claim to be in the way that they can claim to be musicians is be an actor. Because it's the only thing I put in the amount of
1: time that right, they have. Right, the hours.
0: Yeah. So I play guitar not particularly well. Like enough to maybe... I had a band in grad school, but we weren't very good. <laughs> we well, you
1: you did do a large musical for a while where you played Johnny Cash, right? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I understudied Johnny under, Cash okay, understudied first, Johnny but Cash. I did like, I guess I did like 40 shows of Johnny Cash. That's a lot. Uh and that then that we, but when some we went guitar on guitar playing. Yeah, that involves some guitar playing and some harmonica playing. And I play I play a bunch of like instruments that I am just barely proficient in. So I wouldn't call myself a musician, mm-hmm. but I enjoy playing music.
1: Is it something that um, is a steady outlet for you when you have that downtime or not so much anymore?
0: Practicing is. Yeah. Yeah, I love practicing. I like practicing anything. That's the thing. I love it when I have time. My dream is to make enough money that I don't have to do anything and I can just... Practice all of these things, and I build these crazy schedules in my brain where I'm like, "You have to write. I want to be a writer. You have to write for an hour uh, in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, an hour in the evening. You have to practice guitar for two hours a day. You have to all these things." And I never adhere to them, but I do. There's something
1: exciting about setting those goals. Yeah, yeah. And
0: I think it's necessary because otherwise, you're kind of just watching seven. Seasons of Frasier in two weeks.
1: <laughs> you know that um, there was a long period of time when Nate Miller and Brendan Spieth were obsessed with that show, <laughs> and would watch seasons upon seasons of it. When they lived, When they lived I'm together. Do you know why I'm
0: watching Frasier? Is because Ceci Fernandez oh, okay. texted me maybe six weeks ago, and she was like, "Season six, episode something of Frasier." <laughs> best seven minutes of clown i've seen in forever and i'm a person who can't i just can't jump into a thing and i was like you know what i've never seen frazier ceci i'll be there in three months I'll, t- I'll when, when i see <laughs> we'll season six yeah we'll see yeah we'll discuss it months. so i started from the beginning oh and she was right it was fantastic it's were
1: cool. you guys in the same class at yale no no
0: we didn't know each other until
1: she was way after you
0: yeah i'm old Remember well, she that. also
1: took some time before yeah. going back to she was an
0: adult yeah uh no we didn't meet until we were doing twelfth night and now i'm doing a reading with nate right oh, now fantastic. at playwrights realm yeah
1: that's great tangent tell me so you're from texas
0: i am yeehaw <laughs> i'm not crazy proud of that but in the way that texans are <laughs> does that make sense <laughs>
1: I don't know if that makes sense. Well,
0: there's a pride that comes with just being a Texan. But if you stop and think like about it, you're like, oh, that place is so backwards. I feel
1: like most of the people who just have that basic pride are crazy about it. Yeah, I it's guess an so. Intense, it's an intense thing. But um, we, it's, a,
0: it's always with a the caveat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what does your family think of you making a career in the arts?
0: I have, I'm joyously blessed with a family that are not in the arts. Um, I guess my sister kinda, she was a meteorologist on NBC, so she's been, she's done way more T V than I ever will. <laughs> but not in you know not yeah. in an artistic sort of pursuit, in a scientific pursuit. My mom sang in the choir and acted in high school, but that was it. Uh and yet there has never been any moment where I felt pressured or like I wasn't living up to expectations to do anything else. I found out that I was good at this pretty early on. And
1: through school or Yeah. Uh,
0: I did my first play in the third grade and my mom sewed my costume. I played the American flag in the 50 nifty United States. I wanted to be Uncle Sam, the lead. John Milkerick played Uncle Sam. Where's he now? <laughs> probably a doctor (laughs) where am I no one knows uh and I remember my mom my mom likes to tell me now she was like you did a play in the seventh grade called Inside Owl I played that there was some play that the lead character had cerebral palsy and he like jumped back and forth between this like disabled body and the inside brain of that disabled body and she was like in the seventh grade I knew wow that's what you were gonna do I was like, Mom, I did. I still wanted to be a. I wanted to be a priest for a long time. I wanted to be an astronaut. I had a bunch of weird things. When I was a kid, it was robot cowboy. I don't. I hope that still exists. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to play a robot. Oh, that's might what Westworld is.
1: Future. Yeah. You need to get on Westworld. Uh, is Just it still happening? It. I don't know. I've never I don't watched know it. Either. Either.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I found out pretty early on that that's what I wanted to do. And it was like nothing but like love and support.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it really, it's, it. I can't tell you how important that is to nurture that as a family. Uh, now, my dad, on the other hand, he wasn't really in the picture. And he actually saw his first play, which is crazy because he's like a, He's not like a cave person. Like he doesn't live underground. You know, he's an <laughs> artist. He was a painter and he was in a band in high school. He was in the Navy. Oh. like uh, he's aware. of yeah, he's the also arts. like yeah. a crazy, you know, he's done a million things. He was a photographer for a very long time. Ran a hospice. Hmm. A million different things. But he saw me in million dollar quartet when we were on tour in South Carolina. And that was the first play he's ever been to. Wow! And he has since started going to more plays, but the problem with that is that now he thinks he like knows the business, and so he's always like, you know, Christopher, there's a really great theater in Blacksburg, Virginia, and I'm like, okay, you,
1: you, you should call them and get yeah, in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: He's like, you should do more TV, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay. In the same way you that should like, get a
1: better agent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. This so,
0: is my well, dad likes to say. I know. You should get a better so go, agent.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe I hadn't thought of that.
0: So maybe That's, not necessarily support on that end, but like, but oh, this is interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. like an openness and That's like an great. interest and like, yeah. will you buy me a vacation house? And I'll be like, I'll never be able to afford that for you.
1: But, <laughs> I'm not that kind of actor.
0: Yeah, anymore. not that kind of actor.
1: That's wonderful. Have Has your mom gotten to see a lot of your work oh since God, you live yeah. in New I mean, York when She used now. to drive
0: up to Evansville. She would drive the 13 hours to Evansville oh to like, she saw most of our stuff at Evansville. Uh, she's been to New York three times now, once with like my 90-year-old grandmother in tow. Um, That's I, wonderful. Yeah, I've since like relinquished her from the pressure to, you know, travel to see everything. Right. Like I'll tell you yeah. when it's really exactly. needs to happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's like now that I'm... I feel like a very, like, middle class, like, career, you know, just working class artist and actor. I'm like, I'll tell you when the big stuff comes up. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, from from jump, she was never like, maybe you should try something else. That's wonderful. Yeah, it really is.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I know you've been doing a lot of work the last couple years with the mobile unit at the public theater, which is, they do a Shakespeare play and they travel it around to different public institutions, prisons, what else? Women's shelters,
0: um, homeless shelters. Um, Yeah, do free uh, performances.
1: It's really amazing. uh, Just
0: anywhere there's an underserved community uh, that doesn't have the means to either travel or take Mm -hmm. the time off of work, Uh, even places that, you know, don't have any sort of, I mean, real like deserts, uh, art deserts. Which there are. It's crazy to think about living in this city, but they're, you know, just on our back doorstep. There are people, that you, you can't get out of prison to go see a show.
1: Well, you use that phrase, which makes me think of food deserts, that yeah. they talk about where you can't get any fresh food. Yeah. And that exists in the city. <laughs> yeah.
0: In, so, in, in yeah, abundance it doesn't, it doesn't
1: surprise me that there's an art desert as well.
0: Uh, yeah, I've done five mobile unit shows. Um, Stephanie Barra, who is a classmate of mine at uh, drama school. Who is now the artistic director of Baltimore Center Stage. She got me an audition and then it took three or four auditions before I finally got cast. Um, like three or four separate seasons, three or four shows I would audition. I didn't book it, audition didn't book it, but uh, uh, after the third or fourth time I think I I got call. I didn't even book the show through an audition. I got called as a last minute replacement to do Hamlet that Patricia Mcgregor was directing because uh, they needed a musician, and I happened to play like djembe and conga and hand drums and things like that. Um, so I like jumped in last minute, like the day before rehearsal started, and it happened to be one of the most formative moments of my artistic experience as. Uh, an actor or living in New York, anywhere for that matter. And I was like, I, I wanna find a way to do this. And so I kept pestering and pestering and pestering and I was like, every, I didn't have agents at this point. Um, so I would call Stephanie and I would say, hey, please call Heidi and Jordan. You gotta get me in for this. And then I did another one and then I could call Heidi and Jordan and say, please, 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 please let me keep doing this. I don't care what it takes. Because to me, it was the perfect blend of activism and art. And it meant something. It felt, I, I felt like I was contributing something, which can sometimes be hard when you're kind of like just, you know, living in this commercial artistic world or like doing stuff that you don't particularly care about. But the mobile unit was a huge, informative experience, and I, I'll, I'll, any time they call me, I'll, I'll drop anything I can to do them.
1: I have never been involved with them, but I've, I've loved going to see the shows because it's the kind of Shakespeare that I feel like I grew up doing an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> well just like stripped down you know some a bench and some yeah props and, roll out a carpet and have yeah. a box full of props it's the kind of theater that I love doing nine actors and that that kind of um Gorilla. the kind of audiences that I spent a lot of my career performing for did you learn anything um through those experiences about how you might go about organizing and producing that kind of theater if you wanted to in the future oh man
0: <laughs> I have had to come to terms with myself as an artist as a human being
1: as you, m- you don't have the producer gene just <laughs> that is fair I don't it is hard
0: I want to <laughs> I want to be that person In my... I have a place in my brain sectioned off for it. I have a place in my heart sectioned off for it. But I just... I don't have the drive. It takes such... A, like... Incredibly devoted person... To produce theater. I respect it so much. I would love to come in... And just put on a pair of funny glasses... And have a, you know squeaky toy in my shoe I do not have the like we have to set up fundraisers and like file paperwork for tax purposes and like I I can't do it (laughs) I cannot do it I wish that I did
1: can I ask is there anything different about the way that you approach Shakespeare now
0: there's a way there's a there's a difference in the way that I approach all theater now
1: since, Since working starting, on those shows.
0: Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about Particularly Shakespeare, I'll say, because that, that's a good place to start, in that it is, um, it is not an academic pursuit. It is not erudite. It is not meant to be read. It is meant to be listened to, watched, or performed. And... You know, we went to drama school, and we spent a lot of that time working on like classics, and that's a big part of our training. And if you, I got stuck on um, like perfectionism in the verse, and I'm like, you know, it's all yeah. yeah, The (laughs) love, and I still to this day love lexicons, but that's just because I like researching things. I just like (laughs) looking stuff up in books, but. Yeah, you can get so wrapped up in the the like hoity toidiness of it that you forget that it is body, dirty, fast, and universally understood by every single strata of intelligence, education, accessibility, the best audiences I have ever played for in my entire life hands down doing any show ever has been mobile unit audiences particularly in prisons and women's shelters one in particular um that I think I I, th- I think it has to stay like confidential for That's their fine. safety or whatever yeah um, of course but uh, I've visited multiple the nice thing about the mobile unit is they have like a lot of partners um that they've cultivated relationships. So we, we go to a lot of the same places and I start to develop uh, relationships with these people, especially in some of these, um, there's some prisons upstate like Taconic, uh, which is one of my favorite, the women at Taconic are, it's a medium security women's prison and they are, they started their own Shakespeare club. They look oh, forward, awesome. they, they do Christmas plays now. They started their own drama club after the mobile unit had been there for two or three years and like I know some of these women now and even when I'm not in the show I'll get text messages from friends that I am that are like so and so at Taconic says I hope everything's well uh we miss you here and it's just like I I just (laughs) I I remember weeping in a van somewhere like on a on my way to some concert that my wife was doing and david ryan smith who's my work wife at the public who i've done like three or four mobile units with was like i'm at taconic and you're not here and they're asking about you and i was like (laughs) just crying Uh
1: um
0: so yeah it has absolutely changed the way i think of theater because it is it it should be fast and dirty and it doesn't need to be heightened Poetic. It already is. It just exists that way. And as long as you tell a story to somebody in the most clear and honest way that you know how, and don't treat them like they're stupid, and don't treat them like this language isn't for them, then th- they will respond with uh, the most open and like beautiful. Experience that they're having. Sometimes it's the first time they've ever seen a play, and by the end of Hamlet, you know they're booing Claudius, and like the the level of engagement in places that, as a you know a person who's done years and years of training and been in thousands of different theaters, you wouldn't expect. I'm doing air quotes for those of you (laughs) who can't see. They're untrained audiences, and because of that, I find them to be the most beautiful, open, and honest audiences. Isn't that
1: funny it's how crazy. we expect people to be a trained audience? Yeah. And now, especially with like the digital yeah. age, and um, that's not the norm anymore. I mean, I guess you're, you're being an audience for a TV show or for a movie, but it's not common anymore to gather in person in a room.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of sad. Um but even when we do, like, in the in the commercial theater world, like, and I get it, I guess, but I don't, this is the thing that the mobile has changed most about me, is I don't, really don't care about disruption. It's all I care about is engagement. Um, you know, everyone's always, like, shushing and you know, thinking of the theater as like this cathedral-like space, and there's something romantic to that. I get it. But I'd rather be doing it for 35 people in a cafeteria with a flickering fluorescent light if the people that are two feet away from me are in it to win it and not just sitting in a dark theater disengaged and like, uh, judging from afar, you know, it, it's just well, a different Well, that's what we thing. both
1: did, done shows with Three Day Hangover, which yeah. Um, yeah. a friend of ours, theater company, that did classical plays in bars, which unfortunately is no longer Now they run of Harmony. Because they moved out of the city. But um, those kinds of like untraditional spaces and immersive theater, I found probably the, the, that's the style of theater I've done the most since school yeah. and the one that I love the most because you're in with the people, yeah. things are surprising. They're alive, st- it's really not electric. not stuck in their seats. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, people are, and because of that, they're like, they're engaged and it, it hones your craft as a storyteller.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like if you're not doing your job very well, they'll just get up and leave. And
1: you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, yeah. the lights aren't yeah. dark. I
0: love that because <laughs> that makes. You can tell when they're bored. Right, that cuts your teeth. Yeah. That makes you like, okay, how do I reengage? Uh, cause I can't be on autopilot. And that's honestly, for those of you who aren't in the arts that are listening to this, a lot of times actors are on autopilot. <laughs> they're just going to, Chris, this is their, I know, I know. Don't secret. They're just going about their day and they're doing taxes while they're in a scene. I've done taxes <laughs> in my head while I've been on stage before, but you can't do that. And it's, an, it's a disservice to the audience when you're doing that. And, uh, the mobile unit has like really clarified the, the way I want to tell stories and who I want to tell stories to. That's the big thing. It's who I want to tell stories to. I'm tired of rich white people golf clapping their way through. I,
1: How are you um, proactive about finding opportunities for yourself? Things that fit into that category of, like, these are the kind of things I want to do. Or, um,
0: why do you guys have to ask questions when... that make me feel bad about myself?
1: <laughs> or, you know, the agent system isn't perfect.
0: The agent system is stupid.
1: How, what are ways that you can try to be proactive as an actor in this city?
0: Um, I think the most important thing is to maintain a community of people that do things better than you. I am not a producer. Um, but I know people who are good at it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they generally, I tend to seek out the people that care about the same sorts of theater that I do. So I maintain relationships with those people and I find out when they're doing things like making wonderful podcasts and bug them for years until they let me finally relent. And let <laughs> me, uh, I'm not a writer. I wish I was. Me too. Uh, but, and maybe I will be. I'm not shutting that door. I've got a lot of projects that I'm working on. If you practice two hours a day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, two hours a day. And the writers are like, try waking up at nine and writing until six, you fool. Two hours a day. Um, but I, I'm, I try to, like, seek those people out. And I say, I love what you're doing, I want to be friends with you on like a personal level and I also want to work with you on an artistic level. My wife has been elemental in that because she is a writer and she's like hooked into that downtown scene that I love because they're just doing non-traditional things. I try to keep abreast of like, if I see something, I find out who the people are that did it and where they came from. and and then I start freaking out about them. Like, uh, I saw Jeff Sobel's Home, and I was like, this is incredible. Oh, you're a pig iron guy. Oh, uh, who are all the other pig iron people? Oh, they have side th- theaters. Uh, oh, Fiasco. Uh, you know, all of these things that I I see, I then try to cultivate relationships with those people. Um so that I can hang out with them. And even if they don't let me do their stuff, I just want to hang out with them because maybe I'll learn something cool. Yeah. So that's like, I think that's, I that's wish great. that I did more.
1: No, that's a great way to go about it. I, I find one of the things most frustrating about this industry is like the layers of bureaucracy between Absolutely. the artists, you know, like, and... So if you can find your way into the communities or, um, you know, people talk about networking and stuff, which just sounds so fake. Oh, it's but like so gross. Actually forming re- meaningful relationships yeah. with...
0: It's really just finding somebody you think is writers, cool and being directors. like, hey, I think what you do is cool. We should hang
1: out. So often there's so many walls put up between... And it's so frustrating. But
0: that's put up by people that we shouldn't care about. We don't put it's we It's all should,
1: about money. I know. All those walls. I know. <laughs> um have you learned anything? Let me start that question. <laughs> have you learned anything? <laughs> no.
0: You know what I've learned? And you've known me for a long time. This is one of the most formative thoughts that I've and of course, you know, of all of the major monotheistic religions and beyond that one of the major cones is like you'll start to learn things when you realize you don't know anything (laughs) and I thought I knew a lot of things for a lot of years and I've never been happier than I do now knowing that I know absolutely nothing. I love it. I'm a fool.
1: (laughs) Have you learned anything interesting about yourself in the audition room over the last five or ten years if you changed anything about the way you think about it or the way you approach it i find i have not made peace with auditioning oh i find it extremely anxiety inducing if
0: you ever do you should write a book because <laughs> i don't think anybody enjoys them
1: yeah is there anything about the way you've approached them that has changed or it's like, has helped you it's like
0: fad dieting <laughs> uh the I've all tried, cabbage audition yeah i've tried so many different things um, what's
1: your current flavor
0: beta blockers
1: <laughs> can you tell me what beta blockers are and how do you get them because uh, i've heard this from other people and i don't know
0: well there's what multiple ways you can get you can get black market beta blockers which is you can get their, their prescribed medications that you right. get from your doctor. And they like... Is the healthy way to do it.
1: It's heart medication, right?
0: Essentially. Am I wrong? Yes. It like
1: slows down.
0: What it does is it suppresses the fight or flight response. Right. Well, I don't know what it does for real. Like, I don't know what its actual, its actual purpose. purpose is. Right. What it does for actors and why performers use them is because it actually like physically like I can't get rid of the shakes it doesn't matter how prepared I
1: am it's maddening
0: it's maddening if and so the only way that I learned how to do it is to get pages out of my hand first of all but right. sometimes you can't sometimes you get right. an audition the night before and it's like 13 pages of sides you're like what am I supposed to do you have to have pages in your hands but when you walk into an audition room even if you feel confident and your hands are shaking it's like no but this is not like
1: that's all. You, someone's looking at yeah or at least that's how you feel
0: uh, so no, I say that in jest, but I have taken beta blockers a few times for like That's big fine. auditions. We don't need to endorse yeah. them or anything. We yeah, don't yeah, even not, cut this not, yeah. out. But
1: I'm seriously need to know um, what they are.
0: I don't take them all the time. I take them maybe one out of every twenty auditions. Like if it's a, right. you know what, it I take them for musical auditions because I I'm a singer and I hate singing in front of people. Musical theater auditions give me a level of panic that. Uh, is unmatched by, I would rather swim with sharks.
1: Do you audition a lot for musical theater?
0: Not often. Uh, I used to a lot more and then I went through like a five or six year period where I didn't have any agents. Um, and so I like, I wasn't going to put myself through that. Right. Those weren't the ones (laughs) you were hunting down. Right. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, I've started to like dip my toes back in because my wife is very big in that scene. And like, you know, it's sometimes in some sort of way it feels like a disservice not to like expand my horizons to everything and, and right. so I you know I had an audition uh, four or five weeks ago it was my first like big musical theater audition in forever and so I took a beta blocker for that and basically all it does is like it lets you do the work that you worked on instead of having to to like mitigate panic right. while you're trying to work
1: right all right besides yeah that.
0: aside from that um this big conversation with Plunkett who's a mutual friend of ours for a very long time about how easy it is for us because of what we do to get our ego wrapped up in the work it's such a particular artistic endeavor being an actor because it is so self-centered by nature that it's very easy to have the work and your ego intermeshed in a way that I feel is unhealthy.
1: It's extremely easy.
0: It's so easy. And it's something I have to constantly check in with myself. And one of the things I do before I audition is I sit out in that stupid hallway with all the other people who are doing their stupid things and... I say, this has nothing to do with my self-worth. This has nothing to do with how much I've worked. It has nothing to do with my talent. It has nothing to do with how much I love my friends and family and my life. Mm -hmm. It is just an interview. And if I can devoid myself of ego... And if I can devoid myself of importance, like, it's just not important. There are bigger things in the world that are important. And that's a little mind trick, because it is important. It's our job, and we have to, you know... But I have to devoid myself of that. Like, I have to play little tricks with myself. And I do believe that, actually, in, like, a very big way. I believe that divorcing yourself from self-worth, mostly, is what I'm talking about. Um... It is very healthy and necessary in this business. But I, in the moment, I have to play little tricks with myself. I'm like, I don't care about this. Right. I have friends who love me. I have a roof over my head, and I can afford to feed myself. Bring it on. What's next? You know what I mean? And that can help mitigate some of that abject terror that I still feel auditioning as a 36-year-old adult
1: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you have any artistic mentors who have been helpful to you in your career, in your life?
0: Oh, yeah. Will I be able to jog any of them out of my wispy, tired old brain? It's
1: okay if you Um,
0: can't. There are artists that I respect and kind of like I wish that I could model myself after more you've interviewed a few of them um, they may not even know this but like you know Jesse Perez so mm-hmm. Like I, I tend to gravitate towards clowns a lot um, uh,
1: you know we only had one semester of clown at Juilliard and I had wished I wished uh, that we had us, too. Two years. Yeah. Because I learned the you most could do, from oh, that class than from anything else.
0: Absolutely. The, I've, I've, I've learned more doing clown than any other class that we ever took.
1: I'm like itching to take yep. one of Chris Baze's workshops, so you but gotta I do just it. need to you save up do the it. money because they're oh, pricey, as they should be. Valuable, I, I valuable things. Yes,
0: thing. yes, that's true. <laughs> but also... Not yeah, it
1: off! But I I gotta start a scene We're this artists, plan. <laughs> yeah,
0: and you have a child and
1: yeah.
0: I there there are people and they're generally multi hyphenates because that's what I find myself like most so
1: intriguing, jealous
0: of I yeah. guess or or like uh, drawn to is like people that can manage and navigate uh, creating their own content. Um, like my wife is kind of I know that's a dumb thing to say but she's.
1: We're talking about Grace McLean. People. Yeah, if you haven't checked uh, her out, you then should. Then you need to.
0: <laughs> but she's like a she's an artistic mentor of mine. Um, her friends, I've met a lot of like really great artists through her. Um, Eliza Bent and 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 like Rachel Chavkin and like all of these people that are doing. Um, multiple things and building their own stuff that's not the same as everything else if I see one more stupid movie turned into a musical I'm gonna puke um so those tend to be my kind of uh mentors as far as like someone who's like held me by the hand I mean I've I've been in a couple of rooms a few times I understudied him and went on for him but Bill Irwin is like I would watch that man read a phone book
1: what did you understudy him
0: in, in Iceman Cometh
1: oh I didn't realize I, I went on for him oh my god he had
0: a bill like this may get cut out I don't know I hope you don't mind me saying this he had um, a transient ischemic attack which is kind of like a miniature stroke Oh my god. Uh, in the first act of a four act show and I, so you went on. In, I went on in, in the middle of, the a midst show, of a show, in the midst of a Ooh. show, at the end of the first act. I went on for two, three, and four.
1: The understudy's nightmare.
0: Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're understudying five parts in oh, a four-hour yes. play. And I, oh yeah, I remember this. This is a, just a crazy brief story, but like, I was downstairs in the green room reading a newspaper, and. Uh, I heard the curtain come down, and I was like, I heard Narda, the the stage manager over the intercom, say, shit. And then the curtain came down. I was like, oh, this was like seven or eight minutes early. I oh, wonder what's going on. And the next thing over the intercom was Christopher Ryan Grant to the costume dressing room. And I was like, okay, okay. I calmly folded my paper.
1: How far into the run was this? Late. Okay. So I mean, it wasn't week one or something and you weren't memorized or
0: No, but it okay. it was like it, it you know, it was I mean not memorized. Again, like we it's, it's we were running material. lines every single yeah. it's too much material. When I
1: understand the orphan's home cycle, it yeah. was like that. It's too much material. Too much. And we
0: only had one re- two rehearsals a week. It's
1: a ridiculous system.
0: <laughs> it's it's insane. Yeah. And then we weren't treated very well either. It was like gotcha. you know. We weren't given anywhere near the resources we needed to succeed. Um, But the crazy part of it was, is like, I ran up to the thing and already wheels are in motion. Costume department's pulling things. I've got Jack McGee, my scene partner for the next, you know, three acts running lines in my face, but I didn't quite get that. Why he was there, and he was like, "Are you okay?" And everyone's like, literally like the birds and Cinderella are like putting clothes on me and vests and like barking and chirping, and people are like, "You gotta and I was like, "Wait, stop, everybody stop. Who am I going on for? Tell me which of the five parts I'm <laughs> going on for no one has communicated anything,
1: and I don't know what happened to Bill. I don't
0: know what happened to Bill. I'm freaking out about that. and he's like in the dressing room next to ours. And I was like, who am I going out for? They were like, Bill Irwin. And I was like, okay. I re-geared my brain and then like, you know, Bill was in his dressing room and he brought me over and he was like, I'm so sorry that it has to be this way. And I was like, I don't care. Are you okay? He's like, yes, I'm going to go to the hospital. They're going to check me out. I was like, great. You're fine. I'm fine. Go get him." And I walked out on stage and my first line was a. Disaster. I mean the horses just got out of the barn. <laughs> I stumbled over everything. I was like but they And then in my brain I was like Grant, you are a professional, you've done this a million times and I finally settled in. But like it was crazy. But oh my gosh. Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin. I mean The man's a genius.
1: He's a genius.
0: I so here's the thing about Bill Irwin. You know, actors show up to the theater to do their own warm-ups. Whatever they need to do to get into a show. Some people don't do anything, some people smoke a cigarette in the alley, some people are there three hours early to do yoga and you know two hours of warm-ups. I find somewhere in between. I would get there just to watch Bill warm up because he would find a little corner, like there's 20 people on stage doing their thing and he would be off in the corner just doing hat tricks or working (laughs) on a funny walk. Or like, I believe it. yeah, he'd like have a ball in his pocket and do something mind-blowingly genius with it, with nobody watching. So I like started to show up just to watch him warm up. And he's been he's been an artist. <laughs> we'll say that he
1: came to do a workshop with us at Juilliard, and he would talk about how just, I mean, talk about like putting in the hours, yeah. just how many hours he would spend in front of a mirror in his house, yeah, just intricately practicing control of his physical body
0: I, t- I asked him I was like how do I get good at hat tricks cause I, I, I that's not a part of clown that I super care about um, but watching him do it is so magical I was like how do I get good at hat work and he's like y- you already have too many friends like you can't have any friends <laughs> I didn't have any friends growing up mm. and I spent hours and hours and hours I was like good good to know so yeah don't um, have any friends.
1: <laughs> we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but...
0: I'll talk about anything. I'm an open book.
1: <laughs> How do you and Grace navigate being in a relationship with another artist? How have you found ways to support each other? What sort of hiccups have you found in that, in that kind of relationship?
0: I wish that I could say something really funny and pithy and like, you know... One big blow up a month really keeps us.
1: It, <laughs> keeps the doctor. It, it away. Actually,
0: we're so uh, different. We work so differently. We run in such different circles that we haven't. The honestly, the only hiccup that we come across is that um, we have been lucky to work, and because of that, we there are like long stretches of time where we don't see each other, and sometimes it starts to feel like you're share you're just sharing a bed with your wife. Like, you know, a lot of times we're on opposite schedules where like, she'll be working and I'm not. Yeah. So she'll be in tech and I'll be asleep by the time she gets home. And then, you know, right. I'm That's gone so before. She, yeah. So there's like, you know, six or seven weeks where we don't get to go on a date with each other or hang out with each other. And that sucks. Um, but as far as like, I've heard stories of like people being jealous of their spouses right. which totally makes sense. I get that artists are jealous of each other.
1: It makes sense but it seems very unsustainable. It does. And it in a seems a, yeah. long-term relationship. Yeah.
0: And and we know like we met doing a show together and even then we were like Oh, yeah, we're probably not going to work together a whole lot.
1: <laughs> what show was it that you met on?
0: We were doing a, a, a workshop of a new musical called Shaving.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and it ended up, like, it culminated in this reading at Joe's Pub. And uh, she wore these gold pants to the closing night party. And I was <laughs> like, I, I want that woman's phone number. <laughs> uh, and then it... it Took months, like I was relentless in the same way that I kept trying to get you to get me on your podcast. I was like, she she tells her friends that I just kept showing up. She's like, I thought we were dating. She was like, I wasn't dating you.
1: (laughs) You were you were hanging around. Yeah,
0: you kept hanging around. I was like, Oh, we're totally boyfriend and girlfriend. She was like, No. But I kept showing up. I kept showing up and I wore her down. Um Yeah, the hiccup is really just like time management, finding out how we can be present for each other um in the midst of like a lot of you know it's a late night activity what we do and a lot of yeah. prep work goes into like getting auditions and and even when you're not auditioning like even when you're home it's about you know f- putting in work to find other ways to stay in and around the business and so it's like it's finding time for each other but jealousy's never come into it Uh, i'm so unbelievably in awe of her and like proud of the things that she does and creates that man if i could be half the artist that she is and she would say the same thing about me which is total nonsense and she's (laughs) a fool uh but she she somehow thinks that i'm uh, Fun to watch on stage, which I count my lucky stars.
1: Adorable.
0: She's adorable.
1: Adorable.
0: Yeah, I'm crazy about her.
1: Is there any large topic that we have not touched on that you really wanted or you were looking forward to talking about?
0: I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I feel like, I think what's important about talking about arts and artists and things is to remind people, whether they're in the business or not, that it it is, it's, it's just work. It's not romantic. (laughs) It can be, but it's, um, it's important to remember that like, just being alive is work. That can inform your artistry. and so it's not always about like the job or the thing that it's it's a constant process of just like being a a good human. And uh, I always said that drama school was more like uh, human school. <laughs> it was just like learning to be a better adult and learning to like play a little bit more and be more present as a human being. Um, so I guess I, yeah, I would just like say that even when it, even when you're not working, air quotes again, that it's, it's all part of the work.
1: Right. And honestly, that's kind of a heartening way to look at it too, yeah. because it's easy, it's easy to fall down that rabbit hole of devaluing yourself right. when you're not working.
0: That's the ego, that's the getting yeah. wrapped up in the ego and the self-worth part. Yeah. And yeah. my response to that is like remember that it's all work and like listen to yourself and take care of yourself and know that if you need a specific thing to get out of whatever dark hole you're in or funk you're in then like make sure that you and your partner and your friends carve out that time because that is more important than anything else
1: no, well, that's a good way to look at it. Um, I have two little questions just Give to wrap me. things up.
0: Yeah. Is if, this like the James uh, Lipton quiz at the end of...
1: Um, no, not that oh, intense. Okay. <laughs> it's not a lightning round of any right, of any I wish it was. Um, are there any tangible things that you reach for again and again if you are in that kind of uninspired or down place, like books you go back to or music you listen to or places you go?
0: Oh. Oh man. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> they sometimes can kind you need of to get shake a, off the cobwebs. Well, sometimes you like it helps to get a good cry out. That's true. You know, sometimes the only way to get out of the darkness is to get into the darkness for a second. And so uh Van Morrison um Into the Mystic is like my favorite one of my favorite records of all time. And it also just reminds me about like songwriting and work again. Like it's all the, I try, I try to remember. At once. Yes, I try to remember all the things all, all at the same time.
1: I love a good shower cry. Yeah, oh, when you get to cries. that point oh, where fantastic.
0: there's fantastic.
1: You get to the point where you have to cry so much that you can't do anything yeah. else. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you might as well like clean yourself while you do oh, it. That's Great. a perfect place. Um, I will always. Uh, I do a lot of collage work. And
1: yeah, we never even talked about your miniature oh yeah, a a sculptures in the Altoid tins. And that's that a do. crazy...
0: Yeah. <laughs> I build dioramas in Altoid tins, kids.
1: I'll, I'll post a picture on Instagram. That's
0: very odd. You know what they started out... This is the adorable thing is they started out as I was wooing Grace. I was... She would tell me her dreams and I would build her dreams into Altoid tins. That's right. That's All, right, ladies. Also adorable. <laughs> uh... No, I I always reach towards like some piece of little art that I can do and then be done with. Like it has to be small.
1: You get to complete something. Exactly. Perfect.
0: And um, collages are super great for that because I can take an exacto and I have like collected. I can't read a newspaper without cutting out pictures and like magazines. And so I have this whole like library of images. What do
1: you usually collage on?
0: I'll start with a blank like piece a, of paper like and, like, I'll spread out. A, I, I have everything organized and divided by, like, you know, these are um, people doing action poses. These are, you know, all kinds of different, like...
1: I used to love doing that in oh, it's
0: school. so much fun. And, well, Kim Miller still does it, and I...
1: I know, and I, I love it. She did the logo for the podcast. Of
0: course she did. She's a genius. So, yeah, I'll spread out a bunch of magazines, and I'll, like, just look around on the floor, and I'll start grabbing stuff, and I can be done with one in, like, 20 minutes. And... It's a little piece of art that I made. It feels good. I don't need to sell it or give it to anybody or show anybody. I just can do a thing and be done with it. And then things feel more manageable. I'd be like, I did that. What's next? And then right. I can incrementally like step that up and be like, what's bigger? I That's can do great. a bigger project. Yeah, That's what I do.
1: And then the final question is, have you seen anything recently of any art form that you want to recommend? Ooh. Friends stuff. Big stuff, whatever.
0: Man. Uh, slave play.
1: <sighs> mm-hmm. Did you just see it on Broadway or did you see it at New York Theater Workshop?
0: I saw it, their invited dress on Broadway. Oh, God, New York Theater Workshop it just says a theater, their underground space. Um, my f- wife is friends with Eliza Bent, who was doing a show that Cesie Fernandez was w- in. Uh, and I, I'm not gonna remember what it's called. It was it's a, there a, now. Bonnie's last flight. Okay. No, it was like a couple yeah, months ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember when she was doing it. I didn't get yeah. to see it.
0: Um, I think Eliza Bent is a genius, and she's a brilliant writer, and I think she's hilarious. Uh, I I like I like stuff that doesn't take itself super seriously. That's like I don't take myself super seriously. I like stuff that's funnier. And can kind of subversively mean something without being like, this is important. Um, So anytime I can see something really like funny, I kind of gravitate towards that. Those are the two things that came up
1: in my brain. Chris, thank you for doing this. Oh my god. I really appreciate it. This was fun. I finally got to do
0: it. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. Check out The Compass Podcast on broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. And thecompasspodcast.com. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J Alvarez. See you next time.